Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. How do you listeners cope with Q4 and busy season in Dubai? It just seems that we're pulled everywhere uh, positively. There's loads of uh, consumer events, there's concerts, there's sporting events. Every weekend seems to get fully booked. Uh, I know I took part in the triathlon in Abu Dhabi last weekend and, and I looked around on social media and there was five other races. Uh, we'll be at the Race Me event tomorrow with Love in Dubai uh, in Deer Islands or Dubai Islands. Uh, we've got media partnership at Coca-Cola Arena tonight for Janoon. It's pretty much a Love in Dubai residency at Coca-Cola Arena with all the concerts over the next few months. Uh, I also attended business event this week and there's so many of those as well. Uh, that was an OSN event on the Palm. Uh, and there's just so much going on. There's the Abu Dhabi events as well with MBA uh, and our team were down there at that this week for Love in Abu Dhabi. And the guest we have this week was actually in town for that event among, and also to launch his book in the region. He's a very special guest and that's why we changed the format this week to make a slight exception to the norm. While not resigning here, he does actually own a business uh, that's based here in Dubai that all of you will know. So. Uh, I think you'll find this fascinating. We made a quick fire. It's a little bit shorter than usual, uh, but uh, you know, I think you'll enjoy it. Welcome back to another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. We have a special episode this week. This is Matt Higgins, the co-founder and chairman of RSE Ventures. He's also a guest shark on the TV show Shark Tank, and his book, Burn the Boats is a New York Times bestseller. Matt is one of the largest investors in direct DTC brands, direct to consumer brands, consumer packaged good brands, and uh, the US at more than 150 investments, and he's also a venture capitalist. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. So you're in Dubai, flying visit, or, how, or what brings you here? Uh, number one, I would say it's, it's a gap. I've never been here before, which is embarrassing now out in the rest of the world. If you haven't, it shows you how far uh, Dubai and, uh, and the region has come is that if you haven't been there, it's like unsophisticated. Uh, and then I just see a lot of incredible entrepreneurial energy percolating up. I just did an investment uh, in a UAA-based company called Dharma, just announced actually yesterday. And so most of it is to fill a, a gap. And then I have brands that I want to bring to the Middle East and I want to understand what does it take. Um, we, we can get into it, but I own Magnolia Bakery, banana pudding for everyone, for you especially. Wow. <laughs> so yeah. so it's really Happy about events. filling a gap and seeing what's possible. Okay. There's so much in that, but just a little bit, you know, it's obviously impressive for someone to have a lot of investments who's never been here, but already owns a bakery here. <laughs> yeah, I do feel good about that. It's a good, fl <laughs> it's a good flex. It's a good flex. Yeah. But so, you know, and I think the book goes into it, but can you tell us, you know, the whistle stop tour, the quick kind of background in how you got to where you are? Okay, good. I'll do, I'll, I'll do this tight. But so I, I grew up in Queens, New York, a uh, product of a single mother uh, in abject poverty, selling flowers on street corners and scraping gum under tables at McDonald's. And my whole life has been um, architecting or engineering my 
way out of hard situations in unconventional ways. So what does that mean? Uh, when I was a kid and realized the cavalry wasn't coming, I decided to drop out of high school. There was a hack back, it might be closed now, where if you did well enough on a test, that is usually a test of last resort, it's called the GED. If you do well enough, you could go to college early. And I took that test when I was 16 years old. So you, normally it's the distressed option, and I made it my template. And as a result, I was able to enter college when I was 16. And this was an all an attempt to get myself out of poverty. So in the span of a decade, I went from a kid scraping gum at McDonald's, earning you know three, four, five bucks an hour, to the press secretary to the mayor of New York um, and overseeing the rebuilding of the World Trade Center site. So a ton of ground covered. And I believe by virtue of my torturous upbringing, I hacked into the codes. And the codes are that if you give yourself no ability to retreat, no, no plan B, you can accomplish amazing things. And that is the pattern that I have been running throughout my entire life and has created this somewhat Im improbable career. Incredible. Was that good? Was that a whistle top? I did that like in a that minute. That was and a half. tight. All right, that was tight. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, you know, just uh, some of that does sound like the American dream. And you know, we do hear of people from New York having like New York's the city that brings that out in people anyway. What what makes your story different? Oh, that's interesting. I think that's the part that makes my story different and which I get into in the book is that is the resistance, right? Uh, this path was so unconventional and everyone from guidance counselors down to teachers, I tell the story in here about my last day of school, my science teacher said I was going to be a loser, right? I had to overcome conventional wisdom to do what now anyone, if they had the facts of my life, would say that was brilliant. Mm. And that's what it means to innovate when you're standing on the bleeding edge. Look what you've done, right? I'm sure people would say, this Irishman's going to come here, he's going to learn Arabic and build this incredible media property. Everyone would have told you that that was nuts. And here you are sitting on top of this media empire. The same was true for me. And so I wanted to pull back the curtain and take this very bombastic phrase, burn the boats, and show how does it really work? Because all of us struggle with committing uh, to our full potential. Yeah. I didn't mean that in terms of, you know, obviously it's interesting, but the, all the investments and there's so much that we could go into, that's interesting, but I'm wondering how, was that thesis, was that planned? Was that, a, like you described, was it a reaction to survival? Because it seems sort of strategic now, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Well, uh, if you look at my career, it can seem a little bit uh, incoherent, right? Because uh, I was a sports executive, I oversaw two NFL teams, I was a government executive, and now I'm a, an entrepreneur. We've put out almost a billion dollars of capital. But actually, every, every time, every different juncture in my life, I would ask myself a couple of fundamental important questions. What's the highest and best use of Matt Higgins today? And we are iterative creatures. We're an amalgam of everything that came before, and, but we don't audit. What am I allowed to do now? I went on Shark Tank. What, what do I have permission to do now? Oh, now I could teach at Harvard Business School. So number one, always asking myself that, that question. And two, how do I leverage what I'm doing today to bring me closer to what I want to do tomorrow? If you zoom out of my career, you would say, oh, the connective tissue is that you're a builder. It's not a government worker, you know, in one context. Zoom out. And I think people inadvertently put themselves into a box. So the reality is my career is the result of cumulative choices to be very very intentional to leverage what I'm doing today to what I want to do tomorrow. Mm. So that's how it all hangs together. I am fundamentally a builder and I, and I built me. I built myself out of poverty to escape from a very depressing, difficult situation to get to where I am right now. And where you are right now is, you know, you own lots of things, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but it was, was that incremental? Did that compound over time or, or how did it work? 
I have a, I, I have a very strong philosophy I get into into the book about how there is a bias towards incrementalism that weighs on us in society, and it's invisible, right? There, I have this all the time when I'm mentoring students at Harvard Business School, and they'll tell me all the reasons why they can't start their own fund yet, why they have to go to McKinsey first, right? And I say, who made the rules that you have to take a job you don't want in order to do what you do want to do? And so I have developed this bias towards step change called step change. Step change simply means to step out of the linear progression of your life and consider, could I do this now? Could I build the global lemonade chain before I build the lemonade stand? And people do not realize that they have accepted this idea of incrementalism without even questioning it. So I am, uh, the, the answer is, the, the, this is all a result of me making these step changes and trying to push as far as humanly possible before I accept this idea of incrementalism. Interesting. Yeah. I want to, uh, plenty of things that take this, but I can't have someone who knows so much about sports and entertainment on the show without asking some questions. You, you're behind VaynerMedia as well. Uh, what's your view on the entertainment industry in, you know, in a macro sense? Is it challenged or is there opportunity for entrepreneurs? There's always challenge, and uh, you have to you have to break down the entertainment industry by sector. Yeah. I find music is very disorganized and hard to kind of get things done. Sports is very um, monopolistic and has a total bias towards people who are part of that insular culture. I get asked this all the time because I've run two NFL teams. Uh, for those that don't know, the New York Jets uh, out of New York and the Miami Dolphins. I ran both of those. Uh, Day-to-day -day operations, making sure that the overall yeah, the business, thing works. Right. Yeah, I, you don't want to ask me any sports-related questions, but, <laughs> but I ran the business of the Jets, and then I became vice chair of the Miami Dolphins in partnership with Stephen Ross. That's how RSC began. He had a problem, which is he needed help turning the team around. We were losing money and, and uh, facing blackouts on TV, and, and I wanted to create a consumer portfolio, so we, so we partnered up. Young people say all the time, oh, it's my dream to work in sports. Like, how do I break in? I always say two things. Don't confuse your hobby on Sunday for your job on Monday. Just because you love it doesn't mean need, uh, you should work in it. And two, the way to break into sports is to sell. If you know how to sell something, sell tickets, sell sponsorship, you can work your way up. The challenge is, is, getting, is getting that first shot. So that's a long way of saying my frustration with sports is that it's, it tends to be so monopolistic and it tends to have a bias towards people who are willing to accept less pay, who are willing to let their fandom drive them sometimes to make irrational choices and compromises. And that doesn't always attract the best talent. Mm. And entertainment in other aspects, you're into NFTs and the Web3 space. No, we don't talk about that right now. No, no, yeah, no we're no, not no, allowed. No, no, yeah. no, I never did any of that. No, it's AI now, right? Yeah, it's we AI. About AI. It's, I'm all about AI right now. I'm <laughs> NFT.AI. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but, yeah. but in a year from now, I'll be talking about it. <laughs> Things go in that yeah, exactly. sort of thing. But you do, so when your portfolio on, on the, you know, the RSE ventures, do you break down uh, buckets like into bakeries and entertainment <laughs> yeah. companies. Yeah, so, so here's a good thing about the way we're structured. This is a partnership between two people, myself and Stephen Ross, who's uh, not only probably the largest developer in the United States, but a tremendous entrepreneur. Because we don't take in outside capital, I don't have to pretend to have a tidy narrative. A lot of what you hear with venture firms, private equity firms is like, is manufactured, so it's coherent. But because it's the two of us. So we have developed verticals of 
competence. So I have a food portfolio. I'm partners with David Chang and Momofuku for those foodies out there who know it. Magnolia Bakery. The reason why I have Magnolia is because I am an investor in Milk Bar. I don't know if you ever heard of Milk Bar, but big brand in the United States. And I don't like to build a factory and make one car because it's really hard to build a factory. So once I learn something and I go through the pain, now I want to leverage it. Like I'm always thinking about how do I leverage the pain to reap the reward. So we acquired Magnolia after going through the pain of building and helping build Milk Bar. Interesting. So, so that's how it all hangs together. But if you said, Matt, this seems like a very disparate portfolio, sports and entertainment, tech, consumer. Everything. Juicy uh, burgers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, everything is about leveraging a competency where I feel strong in that gives me permission to extend a little further out. That's how it all hangs together. So it's not so much how each vertical relates to each other. How does it relate to me and my experience and my partner's experience? Uh, but is, do you do allocations? And I guess one way of asking this would be percentages. You know, a, a successful investment uh, person from the U.S., uh, you know, you started off the show by saying that it's almost embarrassing saying you haven't been here. And there is a bit of uh, tailwinds uh, behind the region. And, you know, we hear of a lot of LPs and a lot of investors looking at the market. Uh, what's it like from where you're sitting in the US on a day-to-day, week-to-week? Are you looking at opportunities? Are, are you, are, do you see this as an emerging market? Are you, are, do you want to have more here? Yeah. So I... I'm going to give you the honest answer. Uh, the most discussions I hear still about the Middle East are an attempt to, to you know, suck out money, to get an investor into your fund, to whatever. I'm looking at it completely the opposite. I think I have access to some of the best consumer brands in the U.S. at a moment in time when they haven't quite uh, you know, gotten on your radar, right? I, I have 150 direct-to-consumer brands, and a lot of them, we were an investor from day one. Great brands. The opportunity I see is if you were talking to an investor in the U.S. and you said, let's go to the Middle East, they would probably get two questions, how and why. And so the how is the thing that prevents the intellectual curious. And they would say, let me focus on Target and Walmart first. And it's like it might be a decade away. The reason why I'm here, I think that there's no reason why a great consumer brand in the U.S. direct-to-consumer can't be here now. Mm. You don't need to wait 10 years. But I need to get intelligent enough so I could be the bridge. And that's why I'm here. I think there's an opportunity to take some of these incredible brands and bring them here. Have you ever heard, I'll give you one as a case study. You ever hear of Magic Spoon? Yeah. Magic Spoon is a protein direct-to-consumer. I was in the first round. I have a course at Harvard where I teach direct-to-consumer. They're in that course every year for the last five years. There's no reason that Magic Spoon can't be in the Middle East. Why isn't this? I don't think people know how. First, they may not know why. There might be subconscious bias. They may think, I'm not talking about Magic Spoon just generally, but I actually think how is the bigger issue. And while there are people who license brands, and I have a partnership here uh, in in, uh, Dubai and Abu Dhabi, uh, most entrepreneurs wouldn't even know where to begin, and they're just dying anyway. You're an entrepreneur. It's hard enough to stay alive, right, Mm. like and do what you got to do. I think that's how most uh, entrepreneurs feel. Yeah, and so that's an interesting thesis, and I agree, but it still is market entry, right? It's still, it's almost like setting up a new business yeah you've got something that works but there are different factors that you need to figure out there are there are and so you have to see is it possible to lower the bar because what's different here and again this is somebody who's you know 48 hours on the ground but <laughs> I, I i've been in government a lot right i have a i have an unusual background as a consumer a ceo is that i've been in government the the receptivity to doing deals and the deal closed culture and the desire to knock down barriers 
I've never experienced that attitude anywhere in the world. And so if I were to, I'm, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to bring a group of consumer CEOs who are very early in their evolution, put together a trip and just expose it to them. I guarantee you that the uh, entrepreneurial culture is, in, is infectious. The problem is that doesn't scale on the internet. You can't feel it unless you feel it, unless mm -hmm. you're in the room. So having gone through this trip and meeting with incredible people, I'm like, I need to actually bring people here at a certain point in their life cycle. I, I'm positive if somebody was sitting in one of these rooms, say, oh, maybe I can penetrate this market. So agreed, it's like it's equivalent of setting up a business. I don't think it's nearly as hard as people would believe from afar. Direct to consumer is probably very hard. Mm -hmm. To think that an American can come and all of a sudden start, you know, you know, selling instantly. I think that's harder. But to be at retail, I bet you it's a lot easier than people realize. Interesting. I'd love to talk more about the region and the book. But okay. I've got questions that my team have. All right, let's do it. And uh, they've I'll read talk the first faster. Two chapters, oh, they so, read it. Okay. Uh, don't be critical. I'm too fragile <laughs> to handle real feedback. You don't seem okay, fragile. Good. No, I am in this way. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> let's let's go. I won't say one word answers, but let's keep this snappy. So, first question: One deal you regret missing out on? Uh, Airbnb. You had an opportunity? Yeah, I was sitting with Brian Chesky in a room, and I think we looked at the deal from the lens of a developer perspective and thinking that it was disruptive, as opposed to the fact that the CEO was a beast and Airbnb was going to be huge. Did you buy in since? Uh, no, but I've become good friends with him, and he's in my book. And you bet on them for the future? And, well, he's still just doing Airbnb. It was too late. Uh, it was at a $10 billion valuation. But you, you back him to continue to grow the business? Yeah, but I'm not investing. You're not investing. Yeah, yeah. As a, you think he's he can, is the right leader for Airbnb? For sure. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. How would you describe the ideal business pitch? How would I describe that? I need more. Yeah. How would you, how, <laughs> um, when, if someone's pitching to you to get your money, what, what's perfect? How, how do you oh, get what's your money? perfect? Okay. Yeah. Uh, number one, uh, 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 God or the universe puts you on this earth to make this business possible. I need to feel like you would come within an inch of your life to make it successful. It can't be a side hustle that you intellectualized your way to it. Wow. Okay. That's right. good. Thank and that's you. probably like what you, that's been a guiding factor for, for you me. Well. Right. I will, I will come within an inch of my life to make this book successful. I will nearly die for this book and I will oh, wow. nearly die for the things I believe in. Wow. Okay. One piece of advice you received that changed your life. Be an agent in your own rescue. I was feeling, I don't normally engage in pity, but there was, this was a rare time. And I was talking to an elder statesman who I love, Peter Guber, owner of the, of the warriors. And I was lamenting and he goes, Matt, be an agent in your own rescue. And it was a good reminder that the cavalry is not coming. You got to take matters into your own hands. Victims never uh, achieve uh, outrageous success. That's brilliant. Okay, probably similar to that. What lessons from sports can you take into business? Uh, the, 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 there's a phrase in football called play through the whistle and the idea that like you want to push so hard that you're not even cognizant of the whistle. Like this play is never going to end. You're going to give everything to it. And what I have found in, in business, if you truly believe that to persist is to prevail, to survive another day, you will be ultimately successful. And in sports, they just give a hundred, so cliche, but they do give 110%. So play through the whistle. Wow. I think we're getting a flavor of the motivation yeah. that's in the book. So it would be good for young people to read. Okay. Uh, Qatar, you know, the FIFA World Cup was hosted there. KSA, Saudi have major sports investment, regular F1 races across the region, actually in Qatar this weekend, boxing events. Yesterday we heard that Dubai Tourism signed with Real Madrid. Where, where do you think this is going for the future of sports? Are we on the shift of, of the brink of a global shift? 
Um, yeah, and I don't know if it's a global chip. It's probably more of a maturation. Uh, I have been involved in sports for a number of years. I actually worked on acquiring Formula One before Liberty, Liberty bought it. Spent a couple oh, of years wow. of my life partnering with Cutter on it. And then in the end, we ended up bringing a race to Miami. So we have a F1 race in Miami. So I'm very, very familiar with it. But I've also been bringing um, uh, football matches all over the world to China, to Australia. Uh, when you see a Real Madrid match in the summer, it's likely that we were behind it. And so I have a pretty good sense. I think it's a maturation of sports and more and more regions feeling comfortable putting on those events. Interesting. And you were at the basketball this course. I was, I'm I'm very close to, I'm friendly with Adam Silver, so I was there and it's just one of the hats. But yeah, (laughs) sports is the universal language, right? And and it's just just never going to change. Interesting. It's a good outlook for the region. You mentioned in the book that your mother dropped out of school due to necessity and left... Uh, and you left out of choice, and you left because of choice. Out of choice. Uh, do you think that this is a necessity today? Could people? Is, would that happen to people now? How so? What do you mean? Uh, as in, you know, uh, yeah, would people leave out of choice now today? I guess they would. Oh, w- would they leave out of choice? I don't think they would leave out of high school out of choice, probably. They might leave out of out of college. I, the reason why I put that in the book is I wanted to make it very clear that this isn't like some, you know, bad kid, quote unquote, who, you know, made good. Like, I'm not that. That's not my story. It was very intentional. And the reason why I want to be very clear that it was intentional is conventional wisdom would say that you were going to be stained forever, that I would never overcome it. And the reason I put that in the book is to give people permission to consider an, an unorthodox path and to don't worry about judgment. I, if I had been worried about, wait, you're going to be a high school dropout forever, I never would have gone through it. But that was 100% the right decision for me. So I want to be clear, this isn't somebody cleaning up their past. This is somebody sullying, sullying their present, knowing that I had a better future, but I was going to have to architect it. After I dropped out of high school and went for seven years of college, I got a law degree and I competed at the top. Mm, interesting. There's two. There's a question on that as well. So two more to go. Uh, on the university one and the schooling one, is that why you started the Linda Higgins Empowerment Scholarship in 2019 for single parents who want to complete their education? Yeah, I have a strong philosophy that out of every opportunity, there, out of every crisis, there lies within an opportunity where you can extract more value than was taken from you. Every single bad thing, I try to extract more value. There's one incident in my life where that has been hard, and that is the death of my mother when I was 26. She died the day I became press secretary to the mayor. So 10 years, I worked hard to try to save her life, and then she dies that morning, right? Still makes me emotional. So the scholarships were born out of the fact that I witnessed how painful it is to be a single mother and to go ahead and and try to advance yourself. I've done... I don't even know, a couple dozen at this point. So that is my attempt to take the fact that I bore witness to suffering and powerlessness and create more value on her behalf. Because it doesn't do anybody any good if the story ends and my mother dies and it's just a tragedy, right? And I think my mother's probably sitting here in heaven now saying, that was pretty impressive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure I wish is. I had lived longer, but, I, <laughs> but, but, but she opened up a window into me. That's why I keep the pain a little raw, because within that pain lies my empathy. And I would argue anyone listening right now who's suffered from a little bit of trauma, when everyone's trying to tell you to get over it, don't get over it. Catalyze, harness it. Harness it and use it as a way to create more power and to give somebody something that is even greater than that which is taken from you. That was a long philosophical answer. It's nice though, and you know, your personality was obviously there when you were 16, so I'm sure your mum knows that all yeah. this is happening. She probably doesn't know it's in Dubai right now. Probably not in Dubai. <laughs> she probably is also embarrassed that I haven't been to Dubai before. <laughs> 
Okay, you started as last one as an investigative reporter. Law, you mentioned after seven years on the side, uh, and then you switched over to sports. So many hats, but is it starting uh, out on your own the only way to making it big? Oh, starting out on your own, only way to make it a big. I don't think that's true, actually. I, I think there's a lot of um, societal pressure right now to be an entrepreneur. We fetishize this idea that you did it on your own. And I feel like everyone is being pressured to have a side hustle. And I don't think that's true. I think there are a lot of people who want to be part of a team, a lot of people who function better as part of a hierarchy, a lot of people who love just being a role player. And yet, I don't think those people should be made to feel bad because they're not Gary Vaynerchuk selling things from a garage sale on eBay. <laughs> like, I think it's great if you don't want to be, you know, and that's why when I sit down with kids at Harvard Business School, who I'm sorry about that. Oh. Yeah, that was actually a reminder to call my kid <laughs> on a different time zone. <laughs> Let me turn that up. But when I talk to kids at Harvard Business School, I'm always amazed that they that they at the uh, that they feel so much pressure to figure out what's my job, what do I do next, and they spend so little energy asking themselves, who am I, as opposed to what do I want to do. So make sure that you've asked yourself the who am I questions and who am I includes. Am I cut out to be an entrepreneur or am I somebody who wants to be part of a team? Brilliant. It's been a pleasure. You've definitely a special guest on this, and, on this show. And I love that we did it so quick. I, I, yeah. Amazing. that, And I hope that you as a fellow, fellow Irishman will be the one to teach me Arabic. Yeah. It's well, going to probably try. take me a minute. <laughs> you should probably learn from someone better than me. Yeah. But no, I appreciate your time, Matt. It's great to meet and look forward to reading your book, uh, Burn the Boats, which is out now and uh, across the region. Burn the Boats. Brilliant. I, it's also on Audible already, so we can we can. And I recorded it. it myself, which was very uncomfortable, but very I'm good. glad I did it. Yeah, very good. I will listen. And it'll be out in Arabic within a year. Amazing. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks, and hopefully you'll be back again then. All right. Thank you. Happy to. Thanks, Matt. Wow. Sometimes books can actually go a lot deeper and that's why they still have value. They not only print, they can be audible or, uh, you know, Spotify announced this week that they're bringing books to that app as well, audiobooks. So I think Matt is a particular one that you do want to go a lot deeper with. Uh, I only had a few minutes before and after the interview, but I wanted him to ask him a lot more around what we're doing on streaming and media and his views on that. Uh, but it was a fascinating conversation. Uh, he is as passionate as he sounds in person and there's a lot of energy there and I could just look inside the forwards of the of the book there's so many uh, famous names there from Mark Cuman uh, to many others Jay Shetty uh, who he's obviously kind of interacted with and impressed as well in the past uh, thank you as always to our producers uh, this week we had Ali Khalil and Ali Baba uh, we said goodbye to Shahir Al-Kindi who's been producing the Dubai Works Business podcast uh, for the last two and a half years uh, but he moved on to work with DXB today. We'll miss him uh, and but we will continue to produce this show uh, as always uh, every Friday at 11 a.m. on Smashy.tv streaming service. Uh, you can watch it in full there, it is subscription. Uh, or you can listen for free on any of the audio apps. As well as that subscription to watch in full, you can get all the local UAE sports in futsal, volleyball, handball and drum roll. We've just secured the rights to stream the full season of the UAE League 
uh, for basketball as well, the first game starting on the 11th of October. Uh, we did the Vice President's Cup uh, before uh, in September and now we're doing the full league as well and that will have commentary as well uh, and you can get that on smart TV devices as well. So uh, as for the episode, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, please do like, comment, subscribe. Uh, we will have another one next week. We'll also be at the Future Innovation Summit with Dr. Adnan Azaruni on uh, Monday and Tuesday next week in uh, Jamara Beach Hotels.